Welcome to the Social Impact Pulse, a podcast where we aim to cultivate intimate conversations with entrepreneurs working at the intersection of the sustainable livelihoods and lifestyle sectors. Each episode is a no-filter conversation with entrepreneurs where we dig deep into the values they hold dear and how that molds and shapes the social impact they strive for through their organizations. In this episode, we are joined by Fritha Mason, founder and CEO, and Banka Ajayi, CFO of Secret Projects, a social enterprise that generates positive change in their communities in India through employing and training women to create clothing, accessories, and homeware products. We'll hear about how the organization got started, the meaning behind the name, Secret Projects, what motivates Fritha and Banka to do the work they do, and what they would like the Secret Projects legacy to be. On with the show. My name is Fritha Mason. I am the founder and CEO of Secret Projects. My name is Banka Ajayi. I'm the CFO of Secret Projects Community Benefit Society. The Secret Projects is an ethical multinational that trains and empowers women in India who have the um, skill of stitching. So um, Secret Projects came about uh, eight years ago when I was out in India. I met a group of women in Kerala who had beautiful stitching skills and they had a microfinance loan. And instead of using it to buy cotton and make products, they actually bought a herd of goats and flowers to make flower layers to sell every day on the streets to uh, people who wanted to offer them to the gods. And um, I said to them, why don't, why don't you make things and sell them? And they said, well, we've got no one to sell those kind of things too. There are other groups that we know that did do that and now they can't pay back their loan. And I'm a sewer and I had been making secret pillows, which is a pillow that unfolds into a blanket. And suddenly I thought to myself, I know what I'll do. I'll take the secret pillow to South India, teach women how to make it, and then I'll sell it on the international market and fetch them a really good price for the, for the products that they make. That's how it started all those years ago. And through doing that, I learned that there are actually millions of women um, who have been trained to stitch, but who can't earn an income from using that skill. And I just think that's so sad because the thing I know about Indian women is they are deeply determined to make sure that their children live a better life than they have done. And their resilience really inspired me to, to take the business a step further, make more products and actually expand it. The name Secret Projects actually comes from the, the original name of the project I started, which was called Secret Pillow Project. And it's quite simple. When we started making secret sari dresses, which is a which is a, a dress made of a sari, which unfolds out of a pocket on the back of the dress, um, everyone was like, you can't sell secret can't sell dresses through a pillow project you'll have to you'll have to change the name and then a friend of mine who's very clever he said drop the pillow and call it secret projects and so I that's that's why I did it but what I really always from the very beginning was I wanted people to look at a secret pillow or a secret sorry dress or any other product I that we were making and not buy it because it was helping someone I wanted people to buy it because it was an awesome product and something that they would really want so the whole fact that it was the production of these products was marginalizing women in India almost was the secret. And I wanted to kind of keep it a secret until someone had bought it and then gone home and read all about it and gone, wow, not only do I have a fantastic, unique and really charming and unusual product, I actually also have helped someone along the way. 
Because I do believe that there is, uh, sometimes there can be a real stigma around ethically produced products or products used to um, to drive a social, to drive social impact. So I kind of wanted to move away from that. So, Prisa, what's meaningful for you? Yeah, so what's meaningful for me or what, what I consider really important in my life is that Everyone should have the basic uh, things they need to thrive. So, you know, I always think Maslow's hierarchy of needs is like one of those really simple ways that you can explain that theory. And in the world that we live in, it seems bonkers to me that everyone doesn't have the basic things they need to thrive. Certainly everyone could if we we organized everything. So what I've always wanted to do was to work to set up an organization that helped achieve, you know, those basic things for as many people as possible. So with Secret Projects, we have a very clear vision. And when I go to work every day, I can live out my purpose through this vision. And I'll read you the vision now. Our vision is a world where all women have the confidence and resources to make choices, thrive and contribute to the strengthening of their communities. So over to you, Banker, what about you? What's meaningful for you? Well, for me, my driving force in life is my faith, my faith in God, the creator and his son, Jesus Christ. And I just believe that everyone was created beautifully because I don't believe that God creates rubbish. So I believe that everyone has talent, which if developed and tapped into, will benefit them, their community and their family. So my passion is to help people to achieve what I call the four Ds, you know, I discover, I like people to discover their talents. I like to help them to define their strengths and weaknesses, to develop their talents by growing and having a can-do attitude. And I want them to be able to deliver their potentials, you know, and just reveal that beautiful gem inside of them. So the way I manifest this is, you know, through the organization is by nurturing, encouraging and working with people to overcome their fear of failure or inadequacy. And experience has shown me, you know, that people are like what I call onions and you have to sort of peel the layers sometimes to be able to reveal that gem inside of them. Sometimes you find that some of the people we work with have been, uh, you know, they've had labels attached to them because the society has been unkind to them. So you need to really be patient, you know, to get them to develop and just shine. And that's what we want to do with the women. We want to empower them to be able to take their stand in the society and know that they matter, you know, that everybody matters in the community, in the society. And, you know, so that's what I like to do. And that's what drives me. I believe that, you know, God will give me that wisdom to be able to achieve that task with anybody I come across. So, you know, Frisa, uh, we've talked about the organization. I think you've, you've already described what our organization does. Would I think, you know, the next thing is to see Prisa, do you remember, you know, what are the things that made you proud, you know, to be a founder of the organization? You know, all those light bulb moments, you know, when you thought, oh, wow, it's so good to be a founder of this organization. 
Yeah, I can, I, I, I can immediately think of the three. Um, what, what, what I would say, and just that I think, you know, in one, if someone asked me what one word describes secret projects, I would definitely say empowerment. It's empowering for everyone who's anything to do with it, whether that's a maker, an employee, a shareholder, or a customer. We all feel empowered by touching secret projects. But three moments that uh, made me feel really proud um, uh, of being a founder for Secret Projects. The first one most definitely had to be um, selling Secret Projects to 266 shareholders through our first um, community share offer. Um, and that pride builds on all the other crowdfunding campaigns that I've done and where I've, where I've smashed the target. And we have um, pulled together large um, funds to do big pre-order campaigns. Yeah, so, so that was my first one. The second one is um, I'm really proud that we take our products to market because everyone says, oh, let's go and empower women and make products and all the rest of it. That's the easy bit. The hardest bit about what we do is the selling part. And that's why so many women are sitting there with the skills and not earning money from making products and selling them because it's so hard to sell. It's hard to reach new markets. It's hard to um, market yourself in a very, very busy and competitive world. So, so the fact that we actually sell the products that we make, that makes me really, really proud. And then the last thing that makes me proud is the feedback from makers when they say um, on the 15th of the month when we do payday, they say, listen, thank you so much. This money is not is come at such a brilliant time. I've got to spend it on this, this and this. So just the, the very basic and simple thing of a woman earning money and the money going into her bank account so that she can decide how to spend it. That makes me like totally brilliantly proud so what about you banker wow do you know the first time you know that i really felt proud was yeah. when we got our registration through because you know you had been running secret projects and you remember that time when i think it was in 2018 and then i said frita we need to scale this up how are we going to bring more people in and we were looking at how to convert the, uh, the secret project to convert it from a limited liability yeah. company to bringing shareholders, you know, just as you said, you know, bringing in shareholders was one of the things, you know, that you can remember. But the one that really made me proud was the fact that we were successful in converting the original company to a community benefit society, because to do that, we had to be registered with FCA. And I remember sitting yeah. down and spending hours to fill in the 48 page document to state what our objectives were, you know, and the FCA had to run checks on us and, you know, to pass those hurdles and eventually have a certificate in our hands. I just felt so proud that, wow, that is it. Now, we have the CBS, you know, the Secret Project CBS. That made me feel proud. And the next one was when we got the approval from HMRC that our investors can qualify for the um, enterprise investment relief. Because before we got that approval, 
we had already drafted all the shareholder uh, documents, you know, the share issue documents. And we had put there that anybody who invested £1,000 or above with us, we were going to get them this EIS. You know, the EIS is where anybody who invests up to 1000 can get 30% tax relief from the government because the government runs this program that encourages investors to invest in companies like ours. So having done all of this, then we had to go through the loop to submit the application. And when the application was successful, you know, that was also a very, you know, one of the moments that I really felt proud of. And the third one, and I think, you know, being the, the one in charge of the uh, financial health of the business, you won't be surprised if I say the time we had our banks opened, both in the UK and in India. Because remember, you know, we just found out that people haven't heard of CBS. It was difficult to open bank accounts. In the UK, everybody kept saying, oh, you know, what are you? Are you a company? Are you a limited liability company? Are you a society? Are you this? And they didn't know what to do with us, but we kept on going and going and going. And it took us almost six months after we had registered to finally have a bank account opened in the UK. And also to be able to navigate that, uh, it's to navigate the banking system in India and get a bank account open for a subsidiary company. That was a landmark because it meant that we could eventually transfer money to India from the UK and make sure that we were in line with the regulations, the foreign exchange, foreign transfer regulations for the UK and for India. And, you know, we could do that with ease. That was, that was amazing. You know, we were able to just transfer money, you know, just directly from Barclays Bank to India. And, yeah, because we needed that anyway to, to be able to carry on. So those are my three moments that I would always remember. Because, yeah. Yeah. And, that, and your last one, Banker, that... When we managed to get that link to those two bank accounts, then then I think if I had a fourth proudest moment, it uh, it was really fulfilling a dream, which was then to have a bank account in India that could bank transfer money to makers with lots and lots of different bank accounts. Because I think our first bank account could only do bank transfer if you all your makers had the same bank account, which is insane because. We had bank makers, we have makers in five different states. So it was really, really great to have the, the sort of modernization of, of a bank account so that we can move money to any, yeah. to any bank account. That was amazing. And the fact um, that we could sit in the UK and just yeah. transfer money directly to the maker's account. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So that, that's good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I say that the selling problem is the hardest bit, but actually getting a company that can do all those different things is a huge challenge as well, let's face it, and an expense. So um, so what's the obituary of, of, for, for our organisation? Well, I think probably um, ours are, me and Banker's um, answer to this question is probably quite similar. I mean, I want the legacy to be um, is that we were an organization that were determined to solve the selling problem. 
and that we worked with many, many women and empowered them to be leaders in their own right and social micro entrepreneurs and or more than that, if if they achieve that, that would be awesome. Um, But the legacy really is that we never had an exit plan. I have been shocked, actually, by how many charities and social enterprises that go out to empower and help people do various different things. And then the exit plan is just so fast. It's like two or three years and then we won't be working with these people anymore. They'll have had time to rise up and solve all the problems and and lead and do everything on their own. And I just think that's so unrealistic because I look at my own life and I think the mentors I gained in my early 20s in my career are still the same mentors that I have now. And they would never turn around and say, oh, Fritho, you've had a bit too much of us. We're going to leave now. So I just really, really want our legacy to be that we worked alongside our makers and our maker leaders and we never left them. And we all worked together to grow and to develop. And the COVID situation is a perfect example of where a two to three year or even a three to five year exit plan is bonkers because we've been sitting in two years of COVID now and we've had makers who became maker leaders who got their own units. And those units are no longer because they've had to let them go because they weren't making enough money to keep them. So it's extremely important that actually we stay with them so that they can rise up again when when things settle down. And that is looking like it's not going to be anytime soon. So our legacy, I want our legacy to to be that we never had an exit plan from our makers. Over to you, Banker. Yeah, you're right. You know, our legacy are similar, you know, so I would like a legacy to be what I would call a never ending story. Mm. So I would like it to be one that is passed on from one generation to the other. And that's why we have very young members. Remember when we were writing the um, the rules of the organization to submit to the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, one of the things that they asked us was, what's the age limit for people to be members or shareholders? And we said we didn't want any age limit because we wanted parents to be there. We wanted their children, their, their grandchildren, so that we can pass on this legacy to those grandchildren, you know, for example, my granddaughter was only 13 months old when I bought her shares. So I want us to be remembered as trailblazers, you know, because most of the things that we've been doing are things that haven't been tried you know, before. It's when we go to look at them that we find out that, oh, there's really no manual to refer to. I want I want it to be, you know, that oh, these are trailblazers who dared to not only believe mm. that they can make a difference, that we can break down barriers, but also pass down the torch to future trailblazers. Mm-hmm. So I would like my granddaughter, my grandchildren, and their generation to look back and be proud of what we achieved mm. and be encouraged to do more. So the impact that I would like us to be remembered for is that, you know, we get people to believe that everyone matters, no mm. matter their station in life, no matter where they live, you know, but that everyone matters and to get everybody, you know, to be empowered, you know, yes, we're working with women, you know, empowering women, but we also believe that by empowering women, it would 
empower the whole community because the women are the ones who would educate their children. So the impact would be felt not only by the women that we're empowering, but everybody else. So, so yeah, so that's, that's the obituary that I would like us to be remembered as. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's gorgeous. Yeah, then moving on to what keeps us up at night. Um, (laughs) So um, fear, struggles and and fails. So uh, for me, the the fear is um, it's it's always like how how, it's always around selling because um, bringing in the income and selling the products is always is always my biggest fear and and worry. Um, However, I would say that whilst I'm not um, I'm not religious, I, I do feel I had a calling to uh, this project and to serve um, women in India around making and selling products and selling them. I, I definitely believe I had a calling, and because I feel that I am doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, and I know that I truly believe that my skills and talents enable me to be good in the position that I'm in in secret projects. So that. CEO and new business and sales, I can hold my fears um, at a level where they don't overwhelm me. And I actually can use them to kind of harness my, my energy and motivation. And I think that from being a charity fundraiser for 15 years before I did this job, that has helped me be able to, 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 to know how to do that. So it's kind of fear has become almost like a muscle for me. Um, and, you know, I fails. I, I, I just I don't think that we we fail. I think we try so hard, and and the best we do our best at all times. So I'll just I just don't like that word. <laughs> so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna shelve it. Um, but yeah, that that's it. So over to you, banker. Yeah, you know, just uh, what keeps me up at night is the financial health of the business. You know, as the CFO, I am always conscious of you know, the fact that we need to generate enough income to pay our makers, the staff, and the bills. So I see myself as being responsible for this line of business. I need to keep Fritha, you know, aware of what's going on, you know, and sort of do some projection. However, you know, just like Fritha, I try very hard not to allow myself to have fear. For a long time, I have believe that fear means false evidence appearing real. So once, you know, that wants to come my way, I just tell the fear, I say, no, you're not real. It's just Mm -hmm. false evidence. So when I'm kept away, I go to my source of wisdom. And, you know, when I started, I said that I have strong belief in God and in Jesus. I just go there. I go there. That's my anchor. And I just, Happen, I dig deep, you know, for guidance and directions on what and how to do things, you know, to, you know, like Fritha said, failure is not an option. Mm-hmm. You just need to keep looking, to keep thinking. So anytime I'm kept awake, that's what I do. I just spend the time, make sure that it's fruitful so that by the time I wake up, I'm re-energized or, you know, yeah, and then I can go to Fritha and we just bounce ideas and say, okay, now we need to do this to do that. Because generating enough income is very central to 
you know, us being able to meet the needs of all our stakeholders. Yeah, and I think I think sometimes, you know, of course, fear is just very real and can be really overwhelming. But I, I think from a really young age, I always feared what I fear the most is that is that there are so many people out there that don't have enough. And so my sort of frustration and anger at that is I can easily switch that on to a really positive, upbeat energy. And that makes me think my fear is nothing compared to that. These people out there are so brave and fighting all sorts of challenges and and they, they keep going. So hell, we'll keep going too, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing that sometimes keeps me awake is, you know, just making sure that we are compliant because yeah, it's a true. very challenging territory mm. uh, having a company in the UK and also in India. So we have to make sure that we don't fall foul of any yeah. of the regulations. So those, that's another thing that I would say sometimes, you know, keep me away. And again, yeah. I just I just go and re, re, you know I do a lot of research, speak to people who know it because I know that I don't know everything. So I would go to the experts. You know, I'll beg, borrow, or buy yeah. the expertise. You know, just to make sure that we don't fall foul of this any of the regulations. Yeah, yeah, in both countries. So the next question is really fun, Banker. What would we do if there was nothing holding us back? There were no expectations or monetary constraints. <laughs> I think if we had all the money in the world and nothing was holding us back, I would set up some kind of franchise model where we could sell secret projects to, to social enterprises in other countries. And then we would work with women all over the world. And then we would bring all their products to one beautiful, beautiful online shop and sell all their products to our customer base and grow our customer base. And yeah, just expand it beyond India. That's what I would do for sure. Well, you know, if we have no constraints, I would set myself expectations because, you know, I like to measure myself. (laughs) (laughs) So I wouldn't, yeah. So if we had nothing holding us back, I would still set myself some boundaries. I would set myself some expectations so Mm. that I can measure myself. But then my aspiration would be to create a world where every child would have access to good health. You know, where mm. good health care, health care, be valued as a precious individual. You know, I would, growing up in a loving environment. So, mm. you know, I would just do more than we're doing now, you know, because we know that we're doing what we're doing now. We have a mission. We have to focus on that. But yeah. if we had more money, then we would, just do more. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things that, you know, I would I would like us to do. I would like us to create an environment where every woman would matter, every child would matter, everyone, you know, would just grow up with access to all this good, and I'm not saying free, but they no. would have access to good health care. You know, not not free. I'm not a fan of free because you don't value what you don't pay for. But I would like it to be, you know, 
good access to all of those things. Lovely, lovely. What advice, Fritha, would you give entrepreneur in the social impact? Is there anything you wish you knew when you were starting out? <laughs> good question for you. You've been in this longer than I have been. <laughs> well, I would, okay, I, I normally just say, don't worry about, you know, don't worry about marriage, babies, just go out there and just live your life and explore the world and connect with tons and tons of social entrepreneurs who are successful and work for them, for whether it be free or low paid or whatever, get a job with them, breathe in their air and their, their vibe and then learn as much as you possibly can. But always be listening and watching for your own personal calling because it will come eventually. And, uh, and then when it comes, you can use all those skills and experiences that you've got to, to, to do your own thing. That's what I'd say. That's what I always say when I lecture to university students anyway. <laughs> what about you, Manka? Well, you know, I would say to people that they should have a teachable spirit. They should be ready to learn. Mm. You know, when you're starting out, and I can look back at when I started work as an accountant, there was because when I started work, I had graduated and I had qualified, but I hadn't an experience of being a bookkeeper or a credit controller or, you know, all of those jobs that would support me as an accountant. And I decided I had to learn them. You know, the, the things that I know the theory of, but I wanted to learn how to do it. So that because that would develop you into to become a whole person. So I would say that anybody that is starting out, you should be hungry to learn and expand your horizon. Mm. Just get as much information as is available there mm. about the sector that you want to venture into. Mm. And as well as other sectors that may have impact on your sector. Rita, we know this. Look at the impact that shipping is having on, on our sector, you know, the ability, yeah. you know, we want to sell, yeah. but we need to be able to get the product to the people. Mm. And we've had to learn a lot about shipping, you know, yeah. how do you, so, mm. so just don't be, don't be afraid and don't limit your learning. You know, if it's yeah. there for you, then learn it. And if you don't have the expertise, I would say beg, borrow, or buying the expertise, which you don't have. Don't, don't, you know, don't deceive yourself. Know what you don't know. Mm. And and one thing also, Frida, that we always say is that you be transparent, be transparent yes. with people. Don't promise yes. what you can deliver mm. because reputation matters. Mm. Trust is very important in the social impact space. Yeah. And you can easily lose your reputation if you overpromise. It's better to over-deliver, you know, make sure that you're transparent. If you're struggling, let the people that you're working with, your clients, let them know mm. so that, you know, you're, you, you're transparent, you gain their trust. Mm. And for people like me who believe in God, I'll say never lose your faith. It's mm. a sure anchor in time of struggle. Don't lose your faith. Even when things seem to be going not the way you thought it would be, just focus on the goal because it's the end goal that matters. And just hold on to that anchor, you know, of your faith because you would get there. Believe, believe you can make it and believe that you will get the wisdom 
to survive and thrive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And if you even don't have a religious faith then have faith in yourself, because you will be able to do it if you truly believe in your in your in your capabilities. And I think the other thing is, is that what Banker and I always, always um, come up with is we always say, hang on a minute. I think we're the experts here in, in what we're trying to do. So many times we turn around and ask for other people's advice and all the rest of it. And it's so important to get that advice. But when you piece it together in the, for the secret project model and for our particular business, we realize that actually we're the only ones that can really see all of that information in the way in which we need to see it. And we become the most knowledgeable people because we've gathered all the stuff from, from experts that know the things in, in more depth. And so don't be surprised to realize that you are the expert on your business, maybe even quite quickly. Yeah, well, that was it. Was lovely to um, go through those questions, banker, and and that was very cathartic to think about the answers to that, wasn't it? It was. It was. Yeah, it's really good, and it just shows that we, you know, as we've always said, we complement each other. Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, we yeah, we bounce off each other, and we bring out that's the other thing. You know, anybody who is going to who is thinking of going into the social impact space and is looking to have a partner, look for somebody, yeah, that you complement each other. And, yeah, and, you know, you just bounce off each other. You bring out the best in each other. Yeah. I think that's, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, and it's and also it's, it's a it can be really lonely if you don't find other people to 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 make friends with in the same space. So and, and if anyone's thinking about becoming a social entrepreneur or wants some experience, then get in touch with Secret Projects. We've we've always got time to answer an email. We've always got some virtual um, virtual projects that need doing or whatever. So don't be um, don't be frightened to 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 get in touch. Um, it's extremely easy to to get in touch with Secret Projects. You just have to go to www.secretprojects.org and go to our contacts page and then there are a number of emails that you can reach us on so don't be frightened to reach out we can help many thanks for listening to this episode of the social impact pulse we hope you enjoyed it we'd love to hear your feedback and feel free to rate and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts if you haven't already, do check out our accompanying animation created especially for this episode. The Social Impact Pulse is a project of the Artisan Gateway and soon to be launched, Their Stories Be Told.